chapter 8 and verse 43, the account of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Luke chapter 8, verse 43, And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is going out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And you may be seated. In the last four months or so, I have had a reoccurring scene play repeatedly in my mind. It's a familiar story of, in the Bible, it's the woman who touched um, the hem of Jesus' garment. And it's a short story, uh, as we just heard, and it's, within, it's set within another story of healing, and it's within a broader context. It takes place on the street, within a village, within the region of Galilee, within the land of Israel. Um, I'm going to see if I can make this work real quick. Israel is a long, uh, narrow country on the western borders of the Mediterranean Sea, on the east is... Uh, the Jordan River, and we're going to zoom in a bit more. Um, We're going to talk about some of these areas. On the northern side, you see Tyre, Sidon, and then the region of Galilee, which is right around the Lake of Galilee. We'll talk about Capernaum, Magdala, um, Nazareth, and Nain. Uh, On the um, opposite side of the lake, you have the Decapolis area. You have the uh, Gadara and Gergesa. Um, where the, the area of the Gadarenes, we'll talk about that. Um, and then south, in the middle of the country, you have Samaria, and then in the southern end, the area of Judea. And we're going to talk about um, some of these areas as we go along, but mostly we're going to be in and around the area um, of Galilee. This is where Jesus um, was ministering. This is where he grew up and ministered, and we're going to work through the layers of this story that is within another story, within other stories, until we get to the story where Jesus healed a woman um, who touched the hem of his garment. So we're going to jump in in the middle of Jesus' ministry. There's many people that he is healing. He is teaching and preaching. He is uh, beginning to do things that frustrate the religious leaders, and he is, um, they're looking for a way to get rid of him. It sort of came to a point when he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. And their conversation begins to turn to, how can we get rid of Jesus? And so Jesus uh, one day heads up into the uh, mountain on the north side of the lake, spends the night with his disciples in prayer, and then he descends into the plain below the mountain along the Sea of Galilee, and he preaches to the multitude what we call the Sermon on the Mount and many other parables. 
And in Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus enters Capernaum. And uh, this is Jesus' hometown. And in that town, a Roman centurion had a servant who was sick. He was about to die, and Jesus heals him. Um, The next day, Jesus goes uh, to Nain, which is in the southern part of uh, Galilee. Um, We're in chapter 7, verse 12. He sees much people coming out of the city. And it's a parade of, uh, or it's a, it's a burial procession, procession. And there's this also parade of people with Jesus, multitudes of people following him um, to Nain. And he gets to the city, they're carrying this dead man out. And it says the Lord has compassion on him and his mother, who was a widow, burying her only son. And he raises him from the dead. Um, at this point, John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, are you the Messiah or do we wait for another? And, and Jesus sends them back to John with a message um, and tells them to explain to John what they are seeing with the healing and raising from the dead. At some point, uh, Jesus is invited to the home um, of a Pharisee for a meal. And I'm jumping in in Luke chapter 7, I'll begin reading in in verse 37, describes uh, this story. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man... If he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain man who had two debtors, one owed five hundred pence and another fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged." And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. And I will just note that these men wanted Jesus to get rid of this woman of many sins. And Jesus allowed her close enough to touch him so that she could be cleansed from her sin. The men said, Jesus, if you knew who this woman was, you, knew, you would know that she is a sinner. And Jesus said, men, if you knew me, you would understand that I'm her only hope. I came for sinners to heal and to cleanse them and to give them life. The men wanted to keep her at, her, at, at distance and to remain in her sin. And Jesus wanted to draw her in so that he could heal her. Woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, and this is in the region of Galilee, preaching 
and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom he out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, uh, which ministered unto him of their substance. And when much people were gathered together, there came to him out of every city, and he spake by a parable. So Jesus is going throughout the region of Galilee, and there are people following him from Judea in the south, from Tyre and Sidon in the north, basically from the whole country. There's this great multitude of people. And these uh, disciples and the women were serving Jesus, providing for his needs as he ministered and as he traveled. The crowds came from every city and he taught them. Um, there were so many people around Jesus uh, pressing in against him, trying uh, to touch him. So one day Jesus gets into a boat and he heads across the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm on the lake. And just before the disciples Perish, they cried out to Jesus, and he wakes up, he rebukes the storm, and he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith, and they make it to the other side, into the region of the Gadarenes in verse 26, opposite side of the lake from Capernaum, where they had just been. So Jesus, in, in verses 27 to 37, delivers the man uh, possessed by a legion of demons which he transferred into a herd of pigs that ran down a steep bank into the lake and drowned. And so the keepers of the pig, pigs, of course, went and told the village what had happened. And when the villagers came out and they saw the formerly demon-possessed man sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they, they, they implored Jesus to leave. They begged him to leave. The Gadarenes seem to be more comfortable with dealing with the demoniac uh, who could break out of physical chains, but they were completely uncomfortable dealing with a Messiah who came to break the chains that bind men in darkness and sin and evil. They preferred what they knew, a barbaric man full of demons, to what they did not know, a normal man who was forever changed. This miracle of life so radically changed was too offensive for them to accept, and so they ask Jesus to leave. Is it possible that we are at times like the Gadarenes? The possibility of a life forever changed is foreign to us, so we settle for band-aid approach where we conjure up ways to deal with our sin. But we never allow Jesus to break the chains of evil and sin in our lives or in the lives of others because it makes us uncomfortable to see lives completely changed from the inside out. And so we try to change them from the outside in. And in doing so, we keep them in bondage of our low expectations. And because of our own insecurities and unwillingness to draw near to Jesus and allow our lives to be radically changed as well. Fear of the unknown has a way of becoming chains that bind us. And Christ wants to break the yoke of sin and give us his yoke because his yoke is easy, and his burden is like light. Have you ever, like the Gadarenes, prevented Jesus from fulfilling his purpose in your life? Have I ever prevented Jesus from loosing the chains of sin because I found a way to keep everything under control? I found a way to deal with the sin rather than to approach the one who can forgive it and heal it and cleanse every stain. 
So they asked Jesus to leave, and he sets off back across the sea, and I assume back to Capernaum, or near that area. And it says in verse 40, when he returned, that the people gladly received him, they were waiting for him. And so now we enter this story within a story that has been speaking to me for the last six months or so, and I thought maybe if I shared the story with you that the Holy Spirit could then move on and remind me of some other area of my life that, that needs healing. So upon Jesus' return to Galilee, Jairus, who is ruler of the synagogue, comes to meet him, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he begs him to come home and heal his only daughter, who is 12 years old, and she is dying. And I would just like to pause here for a bit and talk about the area of, uh, this is the ruins of Capernaum, and um, Stanley was showing you uh, Peter's house there in the background. Uh, near uh, Capernaum is, is the city of Migdal, or Magdala, and um, about 10 years ago, the, the motel there was excavating, and they, they uncovered the ruins of a synagogue. And they also uh, found what is called the Magdala Stone, um, which you can see right there. And that helped them date the synagogue. This is one of the few synagogues that you can see in the land of Israel that date back to the time of Christ. Now remember we talked about Jesus. Um, he was teaching and preaching in all the synagogues throughout this region. And so this, uh, this tile floor here is one of the places where you can say with a great deal of certainty that Jesus walked right there. And so, as is the case with many of the ruins and villages found in Israel, a beautiful church was built near the site which, which overlooks um, the Sea of Galilee. And in the basement of this church, there is a painting called The Encounter. I can find it. Do I point this at the projector at the wall? There we go. I think, uh, I think we were both moving the slide at the same time. Um, so you can relax now. This is the last slide. Now I'm just going to talk uh, at the speed of air travel, I think. This is called The Encounter, and for me, this was one of the special moments in Israel. Uh, this is a place where we were visiting people. Uh, we could see the place where Jesus walked on, on the floor of the synagogue. I was thinking about this recurring picture in my mind of the woman who touched Jesus' garment, and we go to the lower level of this church, and there's this beautiful painting from the scene in Luke chapter 8. So Jesus returns... Um, across Galilee, and Jairus immediately comes to him and crests healing for his 12-year-old daughter. But there's another person uh, pressing in to touch Jesus as well. Actually, there are many people, but this particular woman had spent her entire life saving on physicians, and yet she remained unhealed. She had an issue of blood, which meant that according to Jewish ceremonial law, she was not only unhealed for the past 12 years, she was unclean for the past 12 years. Not only was she unhealed and unclean, but any bed or chair or person that she touched would be unclean as well. Now, they would need to wash their clothes and bathe in water, and they would be considered unclean until evening or sundown. 
So she interrupts the story of a dying 12-year-old to tell her story of how she has been slowly dying for 12 years. Her sickness made her a liability to her community and society. She couldn't meet with other women, she couldn't mingle with the crowds, and she could not even attend synagogue or the festivals of worship. I doubt if anyone knew this woman very well or even at all. She was an outcast forced to live apart in an unclean state. She was a liability to anyone she met. As long as she is unhealed, she is hopeless. So this unclean, weakened, pale woman, in an act of complete desperation, pushes and elbows and crawls her way to the one she now considered to be her only hope, the last resort. It was either be healed or die trying, and she was ready and willing to risk her life for healing. And our Western culture keeps us from completely understanding the depravity and desperation this woman felt, the weakest of the weak and the lowest of the low. If Jesus views her as unclean, it ruins everyone's day, especially Jairus. He would never visit the ruler of a synagogue having just touched an unclean person. If the unclean woman contaminates Jesus, the little girl does not get healed. But she is a desperate woman, and so she presses forward to touch Jesus. It's a story within a story. The story is the faith of a renowned man, a synagogue ruler, who wishes for his daughter to be healed. And so he comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. But for now, Jairus' faith is put on hold as Jesus feels virtue, or um, the Greek word is what we get dynamite from. He feels this dynamic power escaping him, reaching to the weak woman who is also at the feet of Jesus, having just touched the bottom of his robe and immediately experienced healing. So imagine with me, if you were Jairus, you ask Jesus to heal your daughter, and the next thing you hear is, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. Did Jesus just say that my daughter was healed? But then somebody quickly tells him that, no, your daughter just died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It was another daughter who was healed. But Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, Don't be afraid, only believe, and she shall be made well. So Jesus makes it to Jairus' house. He takes Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the the little girl, and he uh, casts out the the wailers, the mourners, and he raises the dead girl uh, to life. The story within a story. This is not a parable, it's not a fable. The daughters were both healed on the streets within a village within the region of Galilee within the country of Israel. And it's so intriguing and enlightening and invigorating to walk those streets where Jesus walked, to touch the floor of the synagogue in Magdala, in Galilee, where Jesus taught. And it's so easy to want to idolize and worship the ground where Jesus walked when you think about the lives he impacted the crowds that pressed in on him and the multitudes who were healed and gathered around him. And if we're not careful, we become so enamored with the past um, 
You know, the Jesus that heals the multitudes. He forgave the woman of her many sins. He has power over sin. He quieted the storm. He has power over nature. He released the man from his demons. His power exceeds the demons. And he healed the unclean woman. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He has power over death. If we go back, and we went over this quickly, remember the story of the woman of many sins washing Jesus' feet. And the men did not appreciate that this woman who was full of sin was near Jesus. But in reality, Jesus was the only one who, for, who could forgive her sin. And you and I are invited to come to Jesus. We're invited to come to Jesus as sinners. He is the only one who can provide uh, forgiveness. And we can read about the light that he offers in 1 John 1. We don't come, uh, as 1 John 1 describes, we don't come to Jesus with our righteousness. We come to him with our sin. And he gives us his righteousness as the free gift of grace. Maybe your fear is stronger than your faith. Maybe you feel that if you presented your sin to the Lord, that he would see you as the sinner that you are. Well, Jesus came to forgive sin. And sin is the very best that we can bring to Jesus. When you offer yourself to the Lord in all your sin, then he offers himself to you in all his righteousness. This is the only way to be made right before God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as my mind drifts back across the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Gadarenes, I wonder, why were the people more comfortable with this raging demoniac? And why were they so full of fear when they witnessed a transformed life? It seems as if they had developed a plan of action for this man. When his actions got to a certain level, they could no longer deal with his rage. They would put chains on him, and then the demons would drive him into the wilderness. And this became a bearable and yet vicious cycle for the community. In our attempt to make life better for someone who is bound by Satan in a life of sin, it is entirely possible that the best effort we produce only adds more chains to his life and keeps him bound. Our assistance must include bringing those who are under the power of Satan directly to Jesus. If we only offer them coping mechanisms and continually lower our expectation until we are no longer looking for a changed life, then we are adding chains that bind them tighter. Freedom is only found at the feet of Jesus. He alone sets men free. God forgive us when we stand in the way of someone's freedom because we are more comfortable with what we know than we are with a life changed forever. Because chances are, their freedom will reveal my chains and then I will need to face my fear and totally surrender my life to Christ. And may God forgive me for times when I chose to live in sin because it was more comfortable than living at the feet of Jesus. I'm blessed by the actions of Jairus, who knew where to find the source of life, 
Even when many in his community looked to him, the ruler of the synagogue, for direction, he understood that if he stopped at anything short of Jesus, that he would not experience the healing power and his daughter would die. And so while other rabbis were trying to get rid of Jesus, he was trying to draw near to Jesus. Jairus understood Jesus to be his only hope, and so he fell at the feet of Jesus and begged him to consider his daughter's life, and Jesus did. But this unclean woman, who has been my teacher for the last six months, her example and testimony teach me that in my uncleanness and in my weakness, if I want healing, if I want connection, if I want any life at all, then I must, with my last bit of energy, make every effort to push and crawl and fight my way to the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is my only hope. Just like she was unclean and separated from her community and her people and the worship of her God, so I too, as an unclean person, am alienated from a perfect, righteous, heavenly Father. And the only hope of restoring that connection to the Father is by fighting my way to the feet of Jesus, to press in until I can look into his eyes and to fight and crawl to where I can reach out and touch him. I call this the tale of two daughters. The story is about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, falling at the feet of Jesus and begging him to heal his daughter. But the story within the story is Jesus taking an unclean, outcast woman, healing her and calling her his daughter. Luke describes for us a woman who is full of sin to be at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet. He also describes the demoniac falling at the feet of Jesus. And both the ruler of the synagogue and the unclean woman fall at Jesus' feet at nearly the same time. And it doesn't say that they were here at the same time. But what a beautiful picture of the broad spectrum of humanity that can be healed at the feet of Jesus. Whosoever will may come. And it matters little whether you are the daughter of the synagogue ruler or a daughter who is an outcast. What matters is that we find our way to the feet of Jesus. Now let's get really personal. Lately, I've been struggling to know what it is that I need to possess to lead this church. I wonder if I personally have the tools to lead very well. Do I have what it takes to assist in healing of relationships that are fragmented? Can I help the hurting? Am I able to bring this church back into a loving unity with each other and with God? And the answer is no. I believe that the answer to our problems and our struggles, whether they are personal, relational, or spiritual, is that we must fall on our faces at the feet of Jesus. There is no one here that can forgive sins. Only Jesus can. There is no one here who has the power over demons outside of Christ. And there is no one here who can heal your uncleanness except Christ. And there is certainly no one here who can raise people from the dead except Jesus, the Savior of the world. 
My greatest weakness is straying from the feet of Jesus, and my greatest need is to fall at his feet, to draw near enough to Jesus to allow his virtue, his dynamic power, to change me. If we are to be unified, and if we are to be together, it can only be accomplished when we all fall at the feet of Jesus. There will never be unity anywhere else. If you are hurting, or unclean, or full of sin, or plagued by demons of the past, if you are neglected, forgotten, trampled on, if you feel misunderstood, or on the fringes, or have been thrown under the bus, if you have been misused or abused, please do not settle for more chains. Fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out for healing, for forgiveness, and for cleansing, for new life instead of more death. All of us fit into this wide spectrum between the ruler of the synagogue and the unclean woman. There is a wide open door of invitation for all of us to meet Jesus, to meet at the feet of Jesus. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, I will never cast away those who come to me. We all want life instead of death and healing instead of pain and forgiveness from our sin and freedom from our chains. All of that is found at the feet of Jesus. And healing for you and I will only come to the, to the degree that we draw near to Jesus. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I think that we as a church should press in on Jesus. Let's fight and crawl and elbow our way in and fall at his feet. And if you get to the feet of Jesus and you look around and you don't see me, come and get me, because that is where I need to be. Later uh, in Luke, Jesus strongly rebukes some of the cities that saw his miracles. Capernaum was one of them. And he said it would have been better, it will be easier for Sodom and Gomorrah at the day of judgment, because if, we had done, if Jesus would have done mighty works there, they would have repented. And then a few verses later, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many people in Jesus' day saw the miracles. Many heard the teaching. But many of them never truly came close enough to Jesus to touch him. They may have been in the crowd, but they kept some distance between themselves and the healer. And it is still possible for us today to visit the sites of Jesus' day, to be fascinated with the ruins and discoveries of the villages and synagogues from 2,000 years ago, and to finally walk the streets that Jesus walked, and yet never really truly come to him and fall at his feet and recognize that he is our only hope. And it is easy for us here at Weavertown to look good and to appear as if we have our spiritual act together and yet never fully come to Jesus' feet in surrender. It's easy for me to appear to be walking with the Lord and yet in my heart keep a healthy distance between me and Jesus. And it is vital for me to look deep into my heart and to find the corners of my heart that are still unyielded to Christ and to bring them to the feet of Jesus. 
So what's next for us as a congregation? What's next for our community? What's next for our families? What's next for me? I intend to continually fall at the feet of Jesus for healing, cleansing, and restoration of life. And I contend that he is our only hope of finding new life. And so I recommend that we as individuals make a conscious effort to humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And when we have all collectively made our way to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus, he will raise us up to new life, a new way, a new and living hope that will be so contagious that it will draw others to the feet of Jesus. The woman who brought her issue of blood to the Lord for healing has been instructing men and women for 2,000 years. She has been teaching us the value of falling at the feet of the healer. She is one of the greatest teachers who will ever live. Her faith moved her close enough to Jesus to touch him and allow the transfer of virtue and power to affect her life. And I'm motivated by this great woman of faith. And I am determined to follow her example and accept the invitation of the one who healed her to come and draw near and be touched by the Master. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us draw near to you. I pray that like so many people in the stories that we've just uh, scanned, they fell at your feet and recognized you to be their only hope. And so I pray that you would show each of us individually that that is our only hope, to follow the feet of Jesus. And collectively, as a church body and as a community of believers, that we would be so pulled to Jesus, so connected and drawn to Jesus, that our unity and love for each other would be seen around this community and around the world, and we would be effective ambassadors and servants of yours. And so help us, each of us, find our way back to Jesus at the feet of Jesus, crying out for healing. In Jesus' name, amen.